You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Racing App, in partnership with FitzDares. Hello, welcome to the show. Thursday, February the 29th. Still grey, still damp here in TW11, but we are now getting closer. There is a palpable sense of excitement in the air as Cheltenham is less than two weeks away. Jonathan Harding, a writer, award-winning writer from the Racing Post, is my guest this morning. Uh, Jonathan, I suppose we better start, hadn't we, with the latest Constitution Hill update? You're enjoying these, aren't you? The the, the flow of information coming from, from Seven Barrows is, is free. Yeah, and I think that's something right off the bat that Nicky Henderson should be commended for. The communication around Constitution Hill with these social media updates has been fantastic. I think it's the type of thing that punters really respect and really want. Um, It was a slightly more upbeat uh, bulletin yesterday, although you must say it still remains a, a big doubt that he does turn up at the festival. Um, I wouldn't like to say either way at this stage. I know that there, there's a bit of betting on that at the moment. Um, like everybody, it would be brilliant to see him there because he's the best jumps horse in training and we want the best horses at Cheltenham. But it has sort of enlivened that champion hurdle market, the doubt around him. So one to watch. And I know there's a key scope taking place on Friday that will shed a little bit more light on how likely he is to participate. Fingers crossed that he's able to. Well, the good thing is, geographically and politically, we've kept it quite simple this week, from Constitution Hill to somewhere near Constitution Hill and what's been happening in Parliament. Jonathan Harding, you've led the way in the Racing Post this morning uh, with the fallout from the debate a couple of days ago. And amongst the people that you talked to was uh, Lawrence Robertson, the MP whose constituency of Tewkesbury includes Cheltenham Racecourse. I caught up with him a little bit earlier on and asked him what the industry needed to do now. Uh, the, the debate had given us the, the platform and some momentum. I think a number of us were disappointed that the minister was only able to really read out a prepared script and not really respond to the points that were raised in the debate. So um, I don't blame him. You know, he's doing his best. He's had this dropped on him. What I'm looking to do now is get uh, quite a few interested MPs together and go and see the Prime Minister about this because I think it is, uh, as I said in the debate, I think uh, the betting industry, but more particularly racing, has never faced a bigger threat. And so I think we have to take this to the top, explain that we're very, very much in favour of trying to help people who have got problems with gambling or addictions, but this is not the way to help those people and it risks destroying uh, our second most uh, popular sport in the country. So I think we need to take it to the top. Yeah, interestingly, in, in, in your quotes yesterday, I note you saying that whilst Lucy Fraser and Stuart Andrew might be doing their best, this is clearly being driven from the top of the of the party or from the top of government. By, by whom, do you think? Well, that's the bit we don't know. Um, I just can't see where it's coming from because whenever I meet uh, Lucy or Stuart, and they've always been very accessible, they've always been willing to meet and to discuss these issues, uh, and I discuss it with the civil servants they bring along, and it is very clear that this is they're not motivated by this. This is not what they would have chosen to do. That's my assessment of it. They may, they may disagree, but that's my assessment of it. I don't know where it's coming from, but it's one of those... Normally, when you get a debate, you know, and, and 
you make points. And let's let's remember that apart from Ian Duncan Smith, every single Conservative speaker spoke against this policy. Now, that's very unusual. And I'm disappointed the Minister didn't feel able to say, OK, I'm listening to what you're saying. I'll go back and discuss it with officials. I'll discuss it with other colleagues. Um, and, and then we can come back to it. He wasn't able to say that. And, and so we're in a very unusual position. So I think we, you know, what else can I do? I think I've got to take it right to the top, explain it to the Prime Minister, say, look, we want to work with the government to help protect people. Of course we do. Uh, but this is not going to do that. Uh, and it risks, like I say, destroying one industry and one sport. Um, for what? Um, how, are you, how likely are you to get an audience with the Prime Minister? Well, I hope very likely. I've spoken to his PPS uh, about this, Craig Williams. Um, I'm just gathering names of people who would be interested in attending such a meeting. Uh, so I very much hope that we can get, um, you know, half an hour with him, because this this really is this really is very serious. Do you know? Do the, does the government I support, the Conservative government, want to be responsible for bringing about? an end to horse racing with the you know the gold cup with the derby with the grand national with royal ascot do we really want to be the government that puts that sport at risk i don't think we do so you know let's get that audience let's discuss it and and what i said in the debate as you will have heard was let's start again let's get the interested parties people with knowledge about this subject get round a table let's talk about it let's see if we can find a way forward but but this just giving us a, a, a a sort of blank response, a sort of not listening response every single time, um, I'm afraid isn't good enough. All right, that was Lawrence Robertson, MP for Tewkesbury constituency, includes Cheltenham. Racecourse been an MP since 1997, generally considered to be on the right of the party. Uh, Jonathan Harding, you heard what Lawrence had to say, and it, clearly there's there's a lot of work to do. Yeah, and this is the thing. It, it was a case of Sort of, there was a lot of energy going into this debate. A lot of MPs arrive with various points about the potential knock-on effect for racing, and there was the overwhelming feeling was perhaps they weren't listened to in the way they ought to have been. Stuart Andrew, as I say, addressed a few of them, but it it sort of read a little bit like a pre-prepared speech. That was certainly the view of John Gosden, um, who also said was quoted in the story. Sorry, saying that. Essentially, the gambling minister failed to engage with any. Yeah. I wonder what John Gosden and indeed those who run British racing thought of the minister um, announcing at the, at the end of the parliamentary debate that they'd had an offer from the Betting and Gaming Council on, on levy, which rather uh, puts the pressure on the BHA. I can't imagine they were terribly thrilled uh, to know that the, that the minister... Uh, was telling everybody that the that the betting industry had already submitted their their offer well in advance of the levy deadline determination date. No, and and these two issues have become quite intertwined. Um, th this idea that you know the government would be taking with one hand from British Racing's finances through the knock on effect of affordability checks, but giving with the other in the sense of well, you know, you guys can sort out a new levy deal and maybe that will help patch up some of the holes. I'm not convinced that it mm. it would. I think the BHA, uh, you know, I naturally went to the BHA to see what they made of this suggestion that an offer was on the table and what the nature of that offer might be. You won't be surprised to hear, and, and quite understandably, that they're not willing to comment about that at the moment because the, the discussions are ongoing. But they have rather been um, put in the corner there with the idea that there is an offer and um, 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see what that offer looks like, or indeed if it's even accepted. Yes, not not wouldn't be the first time in negotiations like this that that the industry has been slightly put on the on the back foot uh, by the uh, by by the betting industry. I think we should press on and and talk Cheltenham because now that's all anybody really wants to talk about, Jonathan. And I'm going to start with a trainer who I surmised might just be readying her string just at the right time for the spring festivals, and that was Lucinda Russell. Don't forget, Korak Rambler, Ahoy Senor, Jivinko, Apple Away, and any uh, number of uh, promising novices are entered for the stable at the moment. And uh, I began by putting it to, to Lucinda that um the, the horses were were perhaps just about a hit form at the right time and how she was feeling with less than two weeks to go um calm which is remarkable really uh so we've just um it's funny isn't it when you when you're producing horses for one for one meeting uh you can sort of plan it a bit better and uh yeah so far so good we're, we're just uh crossing the crossing the T's and dotting the I's and, uh, yeah, just getting them ready for, for next week. It strikes me, just watching from the outside, this might be complete coincidence, that you're a bit more old school insofar as that you will run them through the season with an idea that their form will cycle up in the spring, but rather than the kind of modern way, which is just basically don't run them at all and get them as fit as you can at home. Is that is that a sort of reasonable assessment from a, a you know, standing a thousand miles away? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the horse, really. Uh, we've got some horses that need racing to bring them on. I think a horse in is definitely one of them, uh, whereas Correct Rambler isn't. You know, he, he ran uh, before Christmas and he's then going to go straight to Cheltenham. So, yeah, it sort of depends on the horse, really. But um, I think we're very lucky that we know the different horses and the ones that we're dealing with now we've had for a year or two, so we know what makes them tick and what's, what's the best way for each of them. Are you clear in your own mind now about where a horse senor is going to turn up at the festival? No. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think in my so as trainer, I think he should go for the two four. As half owner, I think he should go for two four. But I think the other half owner uh, would prefer to go for the three miles. So um, I don't know if I get extra points for being a trainer for that decision or, or, or what way we're going to go. But we'll have to look at it. I think um, yeah, it's. It, at the moment, all, all I'm doing as a, as a trainer is getting him ready for one of the two days. Uh, there's not much difference in the work that he has. Okay, so it is, uh, it's either the Ryanair or the Gold Cup, uh, and he's in, he's in pretty good nick. You're happy with him. What did you make of that run at Ascot? I was delighted with it. Um, I think, uh, you know, AP's right. We should have taken on the, the front runner. Uh, we would have had a different uh, result, I think, if we had done. Uh, he probably he finished closer to Long Press than he did in the RSA. Uh, and he actually was blocked on the turn, so he probably could have been even closer to to Long Press. And I, I don't think you know you're, you're talking about running horses close to Cheltenham. Uh, it's not totally ideal, but for him, it, it was a good thing to do. And I think that's it's just bringing him to to a peak for that, you know, for for the middle of March. So um, I was I was pleased with the run. Uh, I don't think he had a horribly hard race. He came out of the race quite well. So uh, yeah, no, he's I'm I'm pleased about him. And and it's funny, you know, everyone keeps saying oh. Oh, I see you. Well, no, they're not saying a hoist and you. No one's talking about him. But I think uh, I think people should keep him in the in the back of their minds. Uh, he's very much in the front of mind, as is Corrick Rambler, because he's a Grand National winner with probably more ability than we'll ever know. Well, I don't think we'll ever know how much ability he has, will we? Ever? 
<laughs> You're right, I think only Cormac knows that. But uh, he's just remarkable. And it's funny, Nick, I was looking back at some of the stuff that you and I did with Cormac after the National and uh, just the, the joy and stuff that he brings to brings to people. And, and since that race, he's developed again. Uh, you know, it's it's quite remarkable. He's He is just a very remarkable horse. Um, could he win a Gold Cup? Uh, I think in the right conditions he could do, yeah. And what um, what do you think that what do you think those are? What's the what's the perfect setup for him? Uh, fast pace and um, for him to to still still be in touch at the second last. If he's uh, close up there at the second last, I'd, uh, he, you know he likes Cheltenham. Uh, look, it's a it's way it's going to be the classiest race he's ever running, uh, and there is a difference between Gold Cup horses and, and Grand National horses. But um, I'm still quite positive about him. Uh, I think probably realistically an each way thing would be would be the best. Okay. Um, the 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 horses that have got multiple entries are Jivinko and, and Apple away. They're in every novice, every handicap, everything under the sun. Are you are you are you leaning now? Are you are you able to kind of crystallise your thoughts on where the best slots for them are? Uh, yes. Um, I, I mean, the best slot for Apple away would be the ultimate, but I don't know if she's going to get in. Uh, right. The best slot for Giovinco is probably going to be uh, the female novice chase, but we might change our mind to the two and a half mile. Okay. Uh, so, so, yeah. So it's it's you, but Giovinco won't be in a handicap. He'll be in a he'll be in a wait for age race of either the Turner or the Brown. The only thing is, if he if Appleway didn't get in the ultimate, I'd probably take take uh, Giovinco to the to the ultimate. Ah, uh, okay. So it's all contingent on whether she gets in. And if she and if she then doesn't get in, does she then go to the National Hunt Chase? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good so idea. I I think I'm getting it now. I think I'm getting it. I sort of see which way the jigsaw is going. So it really is all all dependent on whether she gets in. I mean, Javinko looks a horse with serious talent at, at various points. Uh, is, is he a horse that you're still very hopeful can run a big race wherever you go? Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know. Will, will is Cheltenham going to be his best track, or is Entry going to be his best track? I'm not sure, but um, I certainly am very pleased with how he looks. And is there? You've got quite a few entries that are, are much bigger prices, the likes of um, Primoz and Ele- Elefante, Inox Allen. Are they all intended runners? No, I think Inox Allen. I still, if it went very heavy, I still might have to try and persuade the owner to run him there. Uh, but I don't think that the other two will go. Okay. Um, Lucinda, all the very best. Um, I will let you crack on because I know you are probably in the middle of riding about five horses this morning. Um, appreciate your time. Thank you for talking to us here on the podcast. I'd only do it for you. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll put that on the on the epitaph. Right. Cheers. All right. That was trainer Lucinda Russell. I was most interested by that. It, it goes to show you that trainers are, are still, broadly speaking, Jonathan, somewhat undecided. It didn't really help you with your anti-post betting, but there are a number of re- related contingencies there all really hinging on whether Apple Away gets into the Ultima. And you can read into that whatever you like. That does seem to be quite a key priority. Yeah, uh, it's. I think I just about followed all the permutations there. It's one of those, isn't it, where trainers are so afraid, I think, of getting it wrong. They quite understandably want to give their horses the best chance, particularly given the, the quality of the Irish opposition and, and perhaps sort of making sure they're in the, the race they're most likely to be competitive in. Uh, there's going to be a lot of this in the build-up to the festival, even now, I think, with the ground and, and everything else. But I think the the thing I took away from that was just the, the 
team that Lucinda's sending is of such a high quality. That really is a yard where the, the quality has grown. Um, I'm so looking forward to the idea of Corrick Rambler in a Gold Cup as well. So is she, I think. So is she. And I wondered the extent to which that's determining the, the idea that she wants Ahoy Senor to run in the Ryanair. And she's urging everybody not to forget about Ahoy Senor as well. Yeah, I mean, he's he's one of those we, you know, talking in the the build up to that Ascot Chase, it was sort of almost billed as a two horse race. Pick Dorian, Lom Presse, and I think Ahoysenor was a little bit forgotten there. He did end up finishing third, but when you look through his form, all the pieces are there. It's just whether he puts them together on the day a little bit. But I'd be of the same thinking as Lucinda, um, in the sense that if if he does get somewhere near his best, we know he's an incredibly capable horse. Um, she is an awful lot more qualified than me to say, but I, you know, I, I do feel as though that intermediate trip is probably the one over the Gold Cup. That would think, be the way I'd be going if I owned him. I think Javinko is still the most interesting horse in her yard, but she makes the point that he might be better suited by entry than to Cheltenham. Wherever he turns up, I'll have a just-in-case bet on him. I think, uh, however, it, however it pans out. Um, the more you talk to trainers this week, the more you think, and it isn't always the case, I do think there's more horses lurking in British yards that are interesting than there have been for a few years. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't mean that Willie Mullins isn't going to win every single race and the ones that he doesn't win, Gordon Elliott will win. But there are there are more interesting horses that we're unearthing bit by bit. Um, you asked me to find out about one horse in particular. Which one was that? Uh, Gidley Park. Well, Jonathan's wish is my command, and as such, I, I call Harry Fry and find out how Gidley Park is getting on. How is he, Harry? Yeah, he's in good form, thank you. Um, uh, he worked nicely yesterday, and uh, yeah, Johnny's coming in to, to put him through his final schooling session in the morning, so I hope that all goes well. Um, what have you had to do with him since his last victory? Is w- w- Were there any areas you think needed sharpening up? Um, yeah, I think there's still... Regarding his jumping, um, we've just yeah he he schooled last week and and we were really pleased with him then and and just keeping his eye in really it's 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 nothing beats match practice but um, yeah the last day at Cheltenham there were a couple of mistakes crept in and but when the when the pace quickened he was good so uh, yeah it's really just been keeping a case a case of keeping his eye in. Uh, we're playing which race at the moment? I think everyone sort of assumed you'd go up to to the three mile race for which he's a shorter price is it is that a dangerous assumption or a fair one um yeah <laughs> i keep convinced one day i convinced myself that the bar in bingham's the race the next day i taught myself into the abbott bartlett so um yeah i just that we're yeah, I know it's frustrating and people want to know. I, I, the owners rang me the other day and said, which way are we going to, which day are we going to go? But, um, uh, we just obviously see what the conditions are. I think they'll, that'll play a big part. Um, and, and then we go from there. I mean, it, of course, he won on the new course and, and the Barring Bingham is on the old. If the Barring Bingham was on the new course, it would be an absolute, no brainer that would be the race we go for i think the new course suits him well um so yeah uh still weighing it up all right that was harry fry talking about gidley park again again uh, undecided but i think a lot of people just assumed this horse would go for the albert bartlett but um it, it strikes me that he's actually he's actually wanting to run him over two and a half miles because he's concerned about the tightness of the old course for the horse yeah that was really interesting to hear and, and gidley park I mean, he was sort of put on my radar because he's he's looking at it now. He's around eight to one for the Albert Bartlett, ten to one for the Barring Bingham. So, 
it looks as though he could be competitive in either, which must be an enormous headache for um, Harry Fry. I mean, Harry's the only person I've heard pronounce it barring Bingham, but I, I like the sound of it now, and I think I might adopt it moving forward. We're still getting used to it a little bit, having called it the Ballymore for so long. Um, well, and, the, it, before, and the Neptune. I mean, most some of us of a slightly older vintage are still calling it the Sun Alliance. But... <laughs> I didn't like to say. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, the Sun Alliance, Ballymore, Neptune, Bearing Bingham, Barring Bingham, whatever it is, it could still feature uh, Gidley Park. I've been speaking to trainer Richard Bandy uh, this morning. He was um, he was a pretty busy man. And uh, I think at the, towards the end of this interview, he might have disappeared off over the horizon. Um, but I began by asking him exactly where I found him on this rather damp, drizzly Thursday morning ahead of uh, a couple of interesting runners at the Cheltenham Festival, including Theatre Man. Uh, we're top of Kingsclear uh, on the facilities of uh, Andrew Baldings, uh, uh, where I've got a schooling ground. So just heading out to the schooling ground this morning in a damp and dreary uh, Thursday morning. And, and who, are you, who are you on the on the way to the schooling ground on? Uh, just on a horse called Villanette at the moment, who has got entries this weekend at Doncaster and Plumpton. And would you do quite a bit of your own schooling yourself? Oh, God, no. No, bottle's well gone. Um, now, we've got Harry in this morning, Harry Bannister and uh, the team at home. So, yeah, we've got four on the schooling field this morning and two more joining us in a bit. So, busy morning. Uh, and this link-up between you and Harry Bannister is working beautifully. The horses are in, in terrific form as well. As good a form as you've ever had them? I don't know about that. I think um, the racing's just weakened a little bit in the last couple of weeks and we found some nice opportunities for them. I've been happy with the horses all season, really. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're being placed, but maybe just not winning as many as we'd like. But no, look, it's nice to have a turn of, turn of fortune at this time of year and fingers crossed that goes on to the spring. We've got some nice horses that I think have still got potential to, to win races and are, and are well handicapped now already for the, for the remaining of the season. So fingers crossed. Well, we know one horse who's got loads of potential is, is Theatre Man, who was second to Ginny's Destiny last time. Now, if Ginny's Destiny is a grade one horse, and if your horse stays the trip in the, in the, in the race that he is as short as nine or ten to one for, then surely a mark of 137 is generous. What's your assessment? Yeah, look, he's, um, he's done nothing wrong all season. He's come up against some well-handicapped horse in his first run, so the John Joe O'Neill horse um, in Chelsea. Um and run a blinder there at the trials day. So uh, I'd like to think we've still got some improvement there. Um, the ground will be dependent on whether we go for the three mile or two and a half. Right. What's your what would if say the ground was de- you know decent ground? Which which do you think would be his 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 optimum distance? I think if we if we had good ground or or, or good ground, then we'd go for the Ultima just to help him get the triple three. And if we were on the softer side or good to soft soft but then we go for the two and a half which I think is probably his, opt- opt- um, his optimum trip okay so the plate and he's a, just a marginally shorter price for the plate than the ultimate but not much in it no exactly um, I've always thought he's a, a really strong travelling two and a half mile horse um, but it, and he stayed on really well up the hill at the trials day but whether that means he, he'll get the three I'm sure he will get the three but it's just on how the races run really Sorry, getting run away with you. I better let you go. No, you're right, you're right, you're right. All right, that was Richard Bandy. Don't know what happened to him. He's He's gone, disappeared. But his horse theatre man, Jonathan Harding, would have a pretty good chance either in the plate or the ultima, and it'll probably be the plate by the sounds of it if the ground is on the easy side. I think you're absolutely right, and it all comes back to that, what I believe is going to be a really key form line going into the festival, that novice handicap chase at Cheltenham, because theatre man finished within three lengths of 
Ginny's destiny, um, who Paul Nichols, I know, ranks as one of his biggest chances going into the festival. You know, this is we're talking about five to two chance in the Turners over two and a half. So the fact that Theatre Man was able to get that close, of course, Ginny's destiny also has form with Grey Dawning having beaten him at Cheltenham over that two and a half miles. So if that stacks up as well as we think it's going to at the festival, I think Theatre Man really has a, a fantastic chance on the bare form. Obviously, a lot has to go right on the day, but uh, you can see why Richard Bandy is quite excited about him. And we didn't really get a chance to talk about Diesel Dallier before he was carted off with, um, who knows his way blindfold around the cross-country course, but is up against it at these ter- in these terms. But it's good to see him in the race anyway. Uh, the St. James's Place Hunter's Chase is a race that interests me, perhaps more than it does you and quite a lot of people, but I think it's a cracker this year. And after David Christie was a cruelly denied victory in the race with winged leader a few years ago who was nutted in the shadow of the post by the mighty billaway uh don't no one's going to begrudge him success this time he could be three-handed in the race with uh, ferns lock vosley and ramelies i mean ferns lock we first spoke about on this podcast about 18 months ago he's a he's a lovely horse he is moving forward at the rate of knots and i began by asking david christie um unfinished business in the race um, last year, this horse was a bit of a, a raw project. I said to him, "Is this is this is this gem Ferns Lock now being suitably polished for festival victory?" Well, we're we're getting there, Nick. I would say um, I don't. I wouldn't say he's just a finished article, but he's much improved on what he was last year. And um, he is a he is a bit of a beast. This horse, isn't he? Yeah, he's a strong horse now. He's a big, big horse, but very powerful horse. Um, but a very nice mover, and, and uh, it's a misconception. I suppose the way the weather has been in Ireland and everyone else is always racing pretty soft ground. Um, but there's a misconception that he needs that. But nice in fact, he moves well enough to, to, I think he would improve for a bit of a nicer ground, you know. And I, I just wondered how you felt that he would handle a track like Cheltenham, but I guess you've in part answered that by saying that, you know, he's a very good moving horse. He's not really done any of his racing, meaningful racing, going going left-handed. Is that an issue at all for you? No, that would be no issue at all. That's not, that's not really by design. It's just the way it's happened. Um, you know, tracks like Ferry House, down the road, those big galloping tracks, uh, they tend to be that way. He has um, quite a lot of uh, pace as well, so I suppose uh, the reason why we would go to somewhere like Thurles is um, ideal for him as well. Uh, the uh, if it was to sort of crab about him a wee bit, you know, as a an out and out three mile three, I think it's a very specialised race, Nick, as you would know. Mm. Uh, and very often horses win that race that come out of the dark, <laughs> um, and. But he's a, you know, he could win over two and a half, and uh, so I suppose going up the hill the last two ferns, uh, it's the uh, most concern for us. But as regards the horse and his well-being, uh, everything else, uh, we're very happy with him. You know. Yeah, you you know all about the rapidly changing fortunes of the fox hunters inside the last furlong or two, don't you, David? Yeah, well, the funny idea that came up on a clip. Uh, on Twitter the, the, uh, the other day there and I managed to come across it because I rarely look at it as you could imagine well I can um, 
and uh, I couldn't believe <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But then when you see Billowy coming you know, again down in eighth, uh, similar sort of thing uh, with the edge on the line and uh, Rebellis, you sort of realise you know, he has that thing in him to just come with a run from nowhere, you know. He's an extraordinary horse, uh, Billaway, and and you know him extremely well. You know all these hunter chasers very well. Um, you've got two others engaged in the race at the moment who've got form with him. Um, one of them is Vosele, who's been a, a terrific servant for a, a while now, and the other is Ramelis, who you know looked like he was he was going to beat everything last time, and then was virtually walking over the line. Are you intending to run either of them or both? Yeah, the both of them are going to run. All three are going to run at this stage. Um, I may as well throw three darts, one dart, you know. Uh, Vosley, it's been, it hasn't been Vosley's year. He had a pretty harder summer with the weather. He's a real spring type of horse. He loves the sun, he loves the long days. He loves the good ground. If you look through his form, all his form, good forms and good ground, or reasonable ground. Um, and he's starting to really come to himself, and I'll just go straight to Cheltenham with him. Um, and he's showing all the signs of being back to Vosley, really, there in the last, I suppose, five weeks, four or five weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh well, we, we sort of dipped our toe in the water at Nice to see uh, where we could push buttons, you know, as regards to other two. Uh, but that's on the line and, and uh, below it. And um, when you look at the speed fraction, the speed timer uh, on the bottom of the screen, you can just see that uh, Derek realised that the, the whole thing was just going a bit too quick before they entered the straight at Nason. It's a long straight. And our horse, he just picked up a couple of miles an hour there. And on bottomless ground, that was just enough to, to make a difference, you know. Uh, but in truth, Nick, um, when Billaway came past, Maxine had a quick look over her shoulder and... Uh, and when nothing was coming, it was that kind of ground that horses just stopped. It wasn't he just stopped, you know, uh, and she walked him home. But he came out of the race very well. Okay, so the three go, and I presume Barry O'Neill will ride Fern's Lock. And who's going to ride Ramelies and Vosley? Well, I would say at this stage, it's uh, Rob James, 4-1, and uh, Maxine. For our Maxine rides right here two mornings a week, Maxine O'Sullivan. Hence the, the riding she does in some of the races for me. And Rob has always ridden for me. So that would be the three pilots anyway. Um, but obviously, Fox uh, Anders, you'd be, you'd be probably changing tag. It'd be nice to go over with Osley without the pressure of being nearly favourite. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have the you just have, just have the pressure of having the, the extremely sure prize favourite with another horse. <laughs> well, I, I, I understand that. But I don't understand. Uh, at the same time, uh, I've been at it long enough, and, and when you get beaten uh, a few times over there, you realise you know <laughs> you can be favourite pair, but favourite's only a word. Um, you know, I'd imagine that the, the English lads will have you know horses have a lot of uh, respect for Will Billick and the lad that won it with Premier. Uh, Premier Magic, Premier Magic, Brad, Bradley Gibbs, yeah. Uh, Bradley Gibbs, you know, those lads really know what they're doing and, and uh, they're on home turf there. So, you know, uh, you say favourite, but like I don't regard myself as I regard myself as a very, very good horse. Um, he's probably the best of the three of, uh, three of them, but he's still quite immature, but I'm there with a chance, you know. 
David, um, it'll be great to see you at uh, at Cheltenham. Uh, when we when we spoke round about this time last year, you were you were pretty unwell. Are you, are you all in one piece now? Yeah, I'm all in one piece. I'm just uh, you know when you're a trainer, I don't think your head's ever right, Nick. You know, but <laughs> 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 I don't think I'll say this. I'll never get better until I stop training horses. But other than that, there physically, I'm a little better face than I was a year ago. You know, which will be good news for everybody, and uh, it'll be lovely to see you with us in a couple of weeks' time, David. Thanks so much. You're very welcome, Nick. Thank you. All right, that was uh, David Christie, and last year, Jonathan, David uh, endured a really nasty bout of ill health. Very popular figure. Love him to get a festival winner. Yeah, and look, those are the stories, aren't they, that uh, you and I and all our fellow press room colleagues are looking out for because it's it's that's what makes the festival so special, I think. You do get these sort of, uh, you know, for all we have a lot of Irish domination, for all Willie Mullins might need to hire an extra car to take all his trophies home, there will be some winners like that that we can really shine a spotlight on. So I, I don't think anyone, as you say, would begrudge him. And he's got really good chances there. I think Fern's Lock's very interesting in that mm. race. Yeah, and interesting what he was saying about um, left-handed, no problem, track, no problem, ground, no problem, trip could be a problem. Is he an out-and-out stayer? And that, I think, will be latched onto by an awful lot of people who are wanting to oppose the 5-2 to favourite. And I was very struck by the fact he kept coming back to Vosley. No pressure this year, double-figure price. Maybe he's the one out of the Christie three that would actually have the best chance in this race, even if Fern's Lock is the most exciting horse for the future. Well, it's around that time of year where we start to see the first foals from sires who covered their first mares last year. Always exciting to see what horses that are, are very fresh in the memory from the racecourse can deliver in the breeding shed. And one such stallion is Perfect Power. Uh, those first foals are uh, hitting the ground now. And they've caught one or two people's eyes to the point where their better mares are, are starting to get booked into him. One such client is uh, Robin Sharp from Houghton Bloodstock. Uh, and Robin's with me now. Robin, I, I guess when, when it comes to selecting stallions for mares, uh, selecting a stallion who's in his second season covering has some attendant risks but at least you've seen some of those foals knocking around and you've been quite pleased with what you've seen yeah i mean perfect power is going to be hopefully the perfect example of a horse in his second crop he was uh, a horse that obviously was um very precocious uh, from the outset because he was a good breezer. He was bought by a very good uh, judge in Richard Brown. And I, I don't think the horse ever disappointed, really. Um, when he got his conditions, he won on fast ground. He won on soft ground. He could quicken off a, off a very fast pace. And he showed all the attributes of a top-class horse. And he's a horse... That he he was a better racehorse than his father, a better racehorse than his grandfather, and you don't actually get that very often. And he's what everybody wants at the moment: speed. So why shouldn't he succeed? Speed is one thing, but as you've identified, class is is equally, if not more, important. There's there's no good having a a fast horse if that fast horse doesn't have the requisite class to be a stallion. At least with perfect power, you know that he does have that. 
yeah, and he won up to seven furlongs. I mean, he won the Greenham um, when they were obviously trying him to get a little bit further. Um, and he actually did win over seven. Not many sprinters can do that, to be honest. And he was just a very, very good racehorse. And he, he was trained by Richard Farhey, who has made Stallions. He's made Mason, Wharton Bassett. Um, you know, so he's been in good homes wherever he's gone. And I, th I think he's got a great chance of being a... A, a good sire and, and what everybody's looking for and his value is good value you know in comparison to a lot of others and he kept doing it the horse every time he was he went to the races he performed virtually and, and except for his last two runs but um it, he is a good sire. he's going to be a good sire i'm sure he is our dad is underrated horse um and i think he might be better than him so, so what are you sending him, Robin? Pardon? What are you sending? I sent him a, a mare uh, called uh, Under the Storm, who's a half-sister to um, a good horse in Australia called Lunces. And um, I'm just working out what we're sending him now, but we're sending him good mares, not just speedsters, but good mares. Um, so, um, yeah, we're... I'm looking forward to um, being on the right side of him. To be honest, um, he could he could do. Everybody wanted an our dad after his far, first crop, so everybody might want a perfect power after his first crop as well. Okay, well, Thursday, we normally focus on the racing in Dubai, which normally takes place on a Friday. But this is one of the great staging posts of Dubai racing this week. It's Super Saturday. So let's focus on what we can enjoy. It's a great uh, evening's racing in its own right, but obviously it's also a big stepping stone to World Cup night. Uh, Laura King joins me now from Dubai, where she's nipped out of the press conference. It's right. You're not going to miss anything, are you? Let's face it. Oh, I think I might. We've got a really good lineup for the, the press conference today. The literal rock star that is uh, Nicola Colliery is there to talk about his runners. Yeah, Amy Murphy. Yeah, yeah. Just, well. just in case, just in case anyone says, "Yeah, whatever," literal. You, he actually is a rock star because he's been he on actually, this podcast and talked about it. He actually is a rock star. He was the the singer at, after racing at the art meeting. He's a very cool guy. Um, yeah, he is, and he had a, his first Group One winner last season. So, what? Why is he there, and what's he running? So he's got Fort Payne. He's got the wonderful Bat One, a big favourite of mine who won here a couple of times in the past. And they've got Nadelia as well in, in, in the, the Phillies race. So they've got quite a strong lineup this week. Okay. So what do you think is the highlight of Super Saturday going into it? What are you most looking forward to? Well, we've got five of these new Dubai World Cup bonus races. So they're winning your ins for the big night. The feature race is the Mactoom Classic, it's now called. That's over the 1900 metres, so just a little bit short of the 2000 metres of the Dubai World Cup. And we've got the wonderfully named Clapton running in there, the only US runner on the card and the highest rated horse on the card. So hoping he will win and book his slots into the big night for popular trainer Chad Summers. And then we've got a rip-roaring edition of the Dubai City of Gold, which Charlie Appleby's pretty good at winning, and he might do it again. He's got some nice ones in there, including Castle Way, who's a really exciting horse. And he said of his three in the race, this is the one who he thinks is the most progressive. So he's definitely a name to watch out for. Okay, Castle Way, for anyone who's forgotten who Castle Way is, he's a very interesting pedigree. Now, 
like quite a lot of Charlie Appleby older horses, he's already gelded, but he's an Almanzor half brother to Palace Pier. So he ought to be quite good. And he's got some pretty good form from last summer, including a defeat of Tower of London in the Bahrain Trophy. So uh, that's now reading rather well. It is. It certainly is after that horse won in, in Saudi last week. He's got interesting up against race fit to stable mate in, in Warren Point. So that race looks good. Um, and then what else have we got? We've got a, a prep for the Alquaz Sprint. Recently announced that Anaf will be heading for that. And when he arrives here for Dubai World Cup, he'll come up against the winner of the corresponding race on Saturday, which could well be Star of Mystery. She's a very smart filly, again, for Godolphin. And she goes up against a plethora of Europeans mm. in that one, including Frost at Dawn, who's a wonderful filly. And she's been second twice here at the carnival for William Knight. And it'd be great if she could get her uh, just rewards for being so consistent. I was quite interested in a couple of European invaders. Safi Osborne takes the ride on Johnny Murta's Ladies' Church. He's got good form at a high level. Equality's a horse with loads of ability, but you can't really predict how he's going to run. No, and I thought Equality would go a bit better last time. They were very confident that everything here would suit him. Maybe he bounces back, and we haven't seen the best of Ladies' Church either here in Dubai. She went well last, not so much this year. And, of course, Safi, Safi's wonderful win on Uzo. It was one of the stories of the carnival for me, her and... And Jamie have, have have been been absolutely brilliant supporters of racing here, and it was fantastic to see uh, to see them get those wins. Um, two for Jamie, because one for, one for Safi, and they got a little squeak uh, later on as well with um with Solid, um, who's really been aimed at the City of Gold, and I love it when a horse is really aimed at something. Yep. Okay. And the City of Gold is one fifty. British time, one fifty British time. The City of Gold. Uh, Jamie Osborne's runner, Safi, uh, Safi rides Solid Stone, who of course spent much of his life as the ill-fated Desert Crown's galloping companion, and has still got a little bit of lead in his pencil by the looks of it. Um, we we ought to just talk about the impact of last week's Saudi Cup on World Cup night itself, um, Laura, and the possibility of a rematch, well, the likelihood of a rematch between Senor Buscador and Ushputazoro. Which of those two is likely to come out best? Ten furlongs round Maidan. Oh, it's so tricky, isn't it? It all depends on the pace, but of course they're both closers. It's absolutely intriguing. They're both here. They both had a little dodder around the track. They obviously haven't done much, um, but they're here. They're having a look around. It's, it's actually wonderful from a Dubai perspective that we get these these fantastic horses here so early. In, in the old days, they'd only ship in a few days before the race, but now they're here for a good sort of three, four weeks in the build-up to the Dubai World Cup. So um, I love that. And I, I still think Derma Sazagaki might be the one, but... Um, Ashbrittasoro Ash and, and Senior Buscador clashing again is absolutely fascinating. Up against Kibir Khan, who skips this weekend and therefore goes into the big one fresher than the others. Another intriguing angle. And what about the fallout from the the Saudi Derby? Is that likely to have any impact? Forever Young is just the horse everyone's talking about, isn't he? That was a remarkable, remarkable performance. Bookham Dano's gone home, so he doesn't have him to beat again. That horse is here as well, Forever Young. So. Um, he is going to be very hard to beat. I'm not sure that any of our local horses are up to giving him a race. Their connections will probably disagree. Um, but he looks an absolute monster, doesn't he? Laura, thanks so much. Great to speak to you. Bye. All right, that was Laura King with her thoughts on Super Saturday at Maidan this weekend. Jonathan Harding has been with me throughout and he has a tip for you for today. Yeah, I'm going with Walking Clover in the five o'clock at Taunton for Harry and Dan Skelton. The favourite in that race looks like a big danger, but I just think Walking Clover dropping down in class should go close. 
great stuff jonathan thanks so much for your time today thank you very much for listening i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did don't forget if you do enjoy these podcasts and i'm sure you're enjoying all the ones leading up to cheltenham uh, do leave us a rating and a review wherever you consume your pods and uh, don't forget that if you uh, get your podcast on the racing app and if you don't why not then if you're in a massive hurry and you just want to hear um all the good bits our friends at the racing app strip out the boring stuff and and consolidate for you into about four or five minutes so you can do that as well on the racing app uh we will be back again tomorrow thanks so much for your time that was thursday february the 29th uh, happy birthday to anyone whose birthday it is you don't get told that enough bye for now you've been listening to nick luck daily brought to you by timeform the trusted source of racing data and analysis by the Racehorse Owners Association and by the Racing App in partnership with Fitstairs. <laughs>